In the old days, companies guessed about what consumers wanted. They guessed. Many companies still do, but something happened along the way. There was a rise of vision and research in a new way of thinking about products and customers. Tonight, we're going to visit with someone who is known in business all over the world as a key innovator in the process of giving customers what they want. And you get to hear it live. Welcome to the Wednesday live event, Innovation and Audio on the Clubhouse app. My name is Lloyd Ford with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. While a lot of work that we do focuses on the media, RPC specializes in developing strategic paths that grow revenue and value. That strategic value is needed in a wide variety of businesses today more than ever. And we do this by helping clients focus on their brand and separating that brand from others so that they're special can be seen. If you know somebody who needs help today, have them reach out anytime, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. This live event is part of a podcast series called The Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast and will become available within about an hour and maybe less of the end of this live event itself, wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly, who is absolutely amazing at producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing them. Today, Wednesday, November 17th, 2021, Howard Moskowitz, co-founder and strategic director at World Institute of Competitive Excellence. Now, you might be asking yourself, hmm, what is this all about? You're about to find out. Before we get started with our current guest, I would like to give you a quick preview of what's coming next week in Innovation and Audio. On Wednesday, November 24th, Evan Shapiro, producer, Professor Pundit, is going to be with us. He's the professor at several business schools right now. We'll get into that knowledge that he has and his knowledge and use of media, which might surprise you. Now, you can see our full guest calendars for all of our live events in the free blog section at RainmakerPathway.com. That is also where you're going to find free encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series and for local radio sellers, or really anybody in sales, you can get even more encouragement with our encouraging sales success series, as well as free resources for anyone in audio today. One of the things we pride ourselves on is we do not lock away anything on our website the way some consultants do. So go to RainmakerPathway.com anytime and see what you can get for free from our team. Let's talk to today's guest right now. Now, listen up. It's ideas that move the world, right? Malcolm Gladwell calls our guest today his, quote, great personal hero, unquote. 
The person you're about to hear chose his professional idea of who he was and what he would do with his life at the tender age of 23. Wait until you hear this story. After you spend this time today with Howard on innovation and audio, I highly recommend that you go to YouTube. You know YouTube. Look up the TED Talk where Malcolm Gladwell was supposed to talk about a new book, but instead, he spent the entire TED Talk talking only about Howard. Howard is the entire subject of Malcolm Gladwell's TED Talk. Hmm, interesting. So basically, our guest today, Howard Moskowitz, is currently the co-founder and scientific director of World Institute of Competitive Excellence. He is a graduate of Harvard University and someone who has changed the way you love and participate with food. And by that, I mean you, not somebody like you or somebody in New York or somebody in Hawaii. You, wherever you are, your life has been changed by Howard. I could list out Howard's clients, or at least some of them, and you might be very amazed, but it doesn't matter what client you pull out and look at. Howard has worked for some of the largest and most amazing consumer brands on the planet. What kinds of things happen to those clients, you might ask? Imagine that you are working in a business where your product is the last in its category with consumers. And then you allow Howard to come in, take a look at your product, do his work, and then you end up being number one in your category and you make $600 million just from that connection with Howard. You see why people like to talk to Howard. Talking with Howard is about trying to look through his vision. He has the ability to look at life differently, and doing that has changed what is available to you in your grocery store. And right now, Howard is obsessed with education. We're going to get into that too. Listen very carefully. Consumers can rarely explain what they want. A lot of people are familiar with this kind of language from Steve Jobs, but Howard, Howard did it first. So that's another reason to have someone like Howard on your team. Why? Because he doesn't think like everybody else. Howard is a problem solver. He's an innovator. He's a researcher in the real sense. So before we talk with Howard, I want to make sure that you understand that Howard is a scientist. He talks science, or as I like to call it, scientifery, but he is such a brilliant innovator and visionary that it's really just amazing to have an audience with him and to hear what he's passionate about because it can help you innovate what you are passionate about. Howard, welcome to the Encouragers and Innovation in Audio. How are you, sir? Well, after listening to your wonderful statements, I'm wondering who you're talking about. Oh, I think you know, brother. All right. So I'm going to start right off the bat with you and say, look, your educational background is in both psychology and mathematics, first at Queens College, and then you went to Harvard University, which you told me was an amazing experience. And this is where I want you to start describing what things mean to us. You called this period as being, quote, 
from the days when Harvard psychology was distinctly oriented to hard science, unquote. And then I added boot camp for long and not always easy careers. And and listen, you became a scientist, a psychophysicist. So can we start with your own words? What What is a psychophysicist? What is that? Well, first, let me describe something. Okay. I got to Harvard in 1965 on a warm late summer's day, I think September 10th or September 12th. I really did not know why I was accepted to Harvard except for one thing. And that was that one of my professors said, study mathematics. And so I was majoring in psychology and I studied mathematics. I got to Harvard, I was accepted, and I knocked on the door of the chairman of the department, Professor George Armitage Miller, who was a strapping six foot four Alabama man who was born 22 years before I was. I was a novice kid, and he was a world-famous scientist. He was a kid, too. And he was a kid, too. In fact, I am now 77, so I'm 33 years older than I was when I met him, older than he was. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'd like to study psychology. And he said, yes, you don't know yet what you're going to do. But welcome to the department. Little did I know how hard it would be. Hmm. At the end of the first year, Smitty or uh, George Miller told me, Howard, you have a proclivity for working in the senses. I'm going to put you up with S.S. Stevens, our psychophysicist. And I know you will be okay because you have resilience. It was a blessing and a description, and a bit of a curse, a malediction at the same time. So what is a psychophysicist? It's a person who studies the relation between physical stimuli, like the amount of sugar in foods, and the perception, like how sweet it is. Well, that's the academic approach. Right. And it's very nice. After all... You can publish articles in scientific, arcane journals that nobody will read, and you can become a (laughs) full professor and pontificate to a population that will not listen. Well, wait a minute. That was not what you wanted to do, right? I want to know, did did you you, you know what you wanted to do right after you got your Ph.D.? I knew one thing. I did not want to teach. Okay. I wanted to study. I wanted to be a scientist. And I got a job at Natick Laboratories. I did not want to Mm. teach, which is so different from me now, where my passion is to teach every student in the world how to think. But that's we're getting ahead of ourselves. Right. The the place that you went to work, can you you describe was that was that a government facility? What was that? You can imagine in the late 1960s, I'm going out, I'm 24 years old, and I go to this place called the U.S. Army Natick Laboratories. Okay. And they said, oh, 
you studied the sense of taste at Harvard. We have a job for you. And I became a government scientist working on making meals ready to eat and space cubes and finding out how to optimize soldiers' menus because this may come as a surprise. In 1970, the government was spending $2.71 on the BDFA, the basic daily food allowance of the soldier. And they were giving the soldier presumably wonderful foods. The soldiers, however, much to the chagrin of the government, preferred to eat at a place called McDonald's. You may have heard of that. I believe I have. And this was driving them crazy. They were preparing for battles, and the kids were ordering Big Macs. Well, you can't take a Big Mac with you on the battlefield, right? No, you can take a meal ready to eat. And they were trying to make a meal ready to eat delicious. They weren't so bad, by the way. I'm sure. So So let's let's talk about this. You know, you have people who seek you out because of your field of study all the time. I want to say, man, is that because of your background at Harvard? Uh, People in your field seeking you out. Is it because that you of the things that you've done in business or maybe your enthusiasm for helping others because you can clearly tell? What do you think drives the curiosity when people seek you out today? No achievements whatsoever. They are the most irrelevant things. What seeks me out, what what makes people seek me out is the fact that on my LinkedIn, I say I want to be a mentor, that I want to teach the entire world to do and think the way I did, that I am simply going through life and taking, I've been given God's gift. And as I mentioned before in our previous conversations, I want to give God's gift to the world. The fact that I went to Harvard is simply accidental. I wound up in um, Massachusetts rather than in California. Okay, so we're we're going to get into all that. We're going to try to to kind of rapidly go through questions that will tell this story a little bit. You had seven years of working for the government, helping develop food products uh, uh, and doing the science of taste, smell and texture. What made you leave this safe job and go out on your own? Because a lot of people will not leave that safe job. What on earth gave you the confidence to strike out on your own, not another company on your own? Did you ever think, man, this is crazy. I'm not going to make it doing this work. Or did you know from the beginning that you'd do well? I did not know that I would do well. My father of blessed memory, Moses Moskowitz, who was a big proponent for human rights in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, came to me one day on his trip to see Judge Harry Batshaw of of Montreal. And he saw me in Cambridge, and we had breakfast. And he said, Howard, do something of value with your life. Do something of consequence. I know that you could have a wonderful job here and retire, but you are not living up to what God gave you, Howard. You have more to give. My suggestion to you is become independent. 
not wealthy, but financially independent. Follow your dreams. Put it between hard covers. Write it and teach others. That and makes sense. I have to tell you, that was quite a shock to me. But it was along what I felt. And so without much ado, I began to consult with companies. And I said, you can do this type of work that I've been doing for the government, systematically varying ingredients. And I was taken up by the Pepsi-Cola company by Robert Abernathy, who was then the vice chairman. I was taken up by people like George Fabian of Chesboro Ponds, who introduced me first to Ragu, which was my client. And then when he moved to Campbell's Soup, he brought me in to Campbell's Soup, as that's the way things are. And I ended up optimizing Prego. So, so look, I want to frame this for anyone who's listening either now live or on our podcast. Many people have heard Steve Jobs talk, and, and he often would say people don't know what they want or they can't say what they want. Did you have any idea that this science that you, that you really were doing for the government would be something that would help people access their favorites? Yes, I knew that from the very beginning. In fact, when I went out for my first interview in early September 1968, as I was finishing up my doctorate, I went to a couple of consulting companies and I said, people don't know what they want, but if you systematically vary the ingredients, and you ask people how much they like what they're tasting, and you draw a curve or a surface like a bowl, you'll find that that surface reaches the highest point. Just think of a bowl that's turned over. There's a highest point. That's the bliss point. So I'm going to say that you are different than Steve Jobs, but similar in that you end up in the same place. getting to something where you can identify what it is that people are passionate about, correct? Absolutely. I also found that there were different mindsets. But unlike Steve Jobs, mine was systematic. What I wanted to do is anybody in the world could be a genius. Just do an experiment. (laughs) Now, this is what I learned from Harvard. Anybody could be a genius, even a kid 10 years old. We don't give these kids a chance. We say we have to have years of experience. We have to have the sensitivity, the exquisite sensitivity. All right, so we we are gonna we are gonna get to the kids because I definitely want to hit on that because that's phenomenal. But I don't know if this is American or, or maybe it's just how business works in general, but pretty much Everyone listening focuses on a competitor who's a thorn in their side or a brand that they want to overtake. Can you tell us the story of of the two spaghetti sauces or two spaghetti brands and how you changed the life of one of those brands? What happened with Ragu? And, And then this might be more interesting because I don't know, I don't think this kind of thing happens that often. How did you then get to go to work for Prego two years later? 
Can you tell us that story? Yes. Because and that's a pivotal fact, story. And in fact, there's a third one as well, but I won't even go into Well, I once worked for most of these tomatoes. There would not be a single tomato in a tomato field that would not shudder when I walked by. That's a joke. You can laugh. Um, so the year is 1977 or so, 76, 77. And I'm in new in business. And I go to the Chesboro Farm Company, Chesboro, uh, Chesboro Ponds Company. They make ponds, but they also make ragu. I meet a wonderful gentleman named George Fabian, who's the head of research. He says, we have a problem. We fly up to Rochester, New York. I say, make this set of combinations. We made it. They hit a home run, and they increased sales by 40%. Not due to me, a better product. It's due to them. All I did is tell them what to do, and they did the work. They knew what to do with a dead tomato. Two years later, George Fabian becomes the research market research director of the Campbell Soup Company. He liked me very much because we both speak Hungarian. And so he took me with him. He said, Howard, why don't you come down to the Campbell Soup Company and do for us what we did for ragu i said okay and i drove down to uh from new york to camden new jersey i talked to the people and george said i want you to meet kathleen mcdonald she said i love what you're saying can you do the experiment with us i did it and we came out with not only this bowl this this curve with the bliss point but i said Kathleen, let's look at the data together. You, Monica Wood, your researcher, and myself. Look at these three groups. She said, you're right. I said, Kathleen, there is a group that wants chunky. She said to me, we never heard that before. I said, there is a group, the data say that there is a group. And spaghetti sauce. And spaghetti sauce. She said, we've never had that before. I said, well, the data says that there's an opportunity. They made it, and billions of dollars later, 40 years later, four zero years later, they're still making lots of money. Really amazing. Kathleen passed away, but they're still making lots of money on their incredible number of varieties. That's right. Now, look, you always focus on the product you're working on and the relationship that product has with the consumer. Sometimes I think people, you know, they focus on competitors too much. Um, and, And I think, isn't it always about discovering what the consumer wants? Can you talk about how you carved out a great business helping companies of all kinds stop focusing on competitors so much and focus on their product and consumers? I don't know whether I would call it you're giving me too much credit. You think so? Yes. I think what I did, as I said, how would you like to increase your sales by 30%? Right. I'm very simple. I'm a New Yorker. Stop giving me the marketing language of we we are slightly to the better of our competitors, slightly worse. We have a disadvantage. You want to make more money? Here, make a good product and people will eat it. Make it so delicious that they can't stop but buy more and more and more. All right. So this question has always been a big challenge for me 
when I'm dealing with researchers. How do you keep yourself from forming preconceived ideas before the research tells you where you should go? And look, we see this all the time. People develop questions to give them specific answers. How do you not do that? I'm not a researcher. I'm a scientist. All I want to do is plot out a path. I have a lot of ingredients or a lot of words. What's the relation between what I mix and how people like it? I don't care what they like. I just want to know whether nature is lawful. What is the relation between the words I select and the scores I get? Can Can you explain that nature is lawful? Did you say that? That is correct. What what does that mean? Thank you for asking me because I'm going to get myself into a lot of trouble, but I'm uh, open-minded and I'm I'm, uh, pretty outspoken. I do not believe in having any innate ability whatsoever. I just believe that if you follow certain steps and explore things, in a systematic way, or as my professor said, stop it, stop thinking and stop hypothesizing. Just do that damn experiment. Excuse me, just do that damned experiment. So interesting. And I learned that. I'm not interested in what the right answer is. There is no right answer. I just want to know what the relationship is like an engineer And I'm going to pick a point on that relationship, that curve, that looks like it satisfies what I need. I don't have to know about the metaphysics of a tomato. Hmm. So, so listen, you've kind of spent your entire career being heads and shoulders above other people when it comes to consumers, what they want, how they act, and how to leverage opportunity with them. When did you begin to think, look, I I might be able to change how others access this vision so that they can do it too? I started that in 1994. I realized that I was working with ideas as well as ingredients. I had just developed the first cashback card for Discover Card, something that they threw me out of the company because they knew in their heart of hearts absolutely nobody wanted cash back. So I was a persona non grata. You laugh, but it's just... I do because I've been in meetings like that. <laughs> they, knew, they knew people wanted me saying Yiddish little tchotchkes. But then I realized I could do this for ideas. And then I started realizing if I could do this for ideas, maybe in fact, I could do this for social issues, not just a better toothpaste. In fact, 10 years before, Court Shepard, who was the general manager of Colgate at Toronto had hired me to do this approach for Colgate Dental Cream in Toronto and that increased the sales by 15 to 20 percent. But it was only 20 years later in the early 2000s that I really turned myself and I said, let's start solving social issues. Peace between the Arabs and the Israelis. Ways of getting citizens to vote. 
ways of understanding how to treat students, how to treat people who are not well. And in fact, when I did this, uh, 10 years later, we began to do work with sick people in St. Mary's Hospital and use the same approach to figure out not the food that you would give them, but the messaging that you would give patients who had just been released because of congestive heart failure. And we got the readmission down from 17% to 5%. These are uh, huge uh, things. These are not small goals to be messing around with. Uh, You've been so kind to spend time with me leading up to this interview. And you, you said it's your calling now to mentor the next generation, whether to give them an opportunity to think critically, which I think is powerful, to get a better education, which of course we know is powerful, to live better, a a better, more fulfilling and safe, joyful life. Um, Why do you think this is your role now in the world? Your your life is not over, Howard. Um, It was always my role. I see. I come from a uh, family of rabbis, although I am not uh, as learned as my sons, nor as learned as my father and grandfather. But I was chosen to do this. This is not mine. You think that I invented all this. One doesn't invent these ideas. One just takes the ideas and applies them. And rather than applying them for my own selfish things, which is very tempting, I realized there are kids all around, orphans. There are kids in, 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 in the poor areas of the United States, areas of Colombia, areas of Egypt. Let them do these experiments. Make the kids experimenters. You don't have to have an experiment on how to sell uh, Colgate dental cream. You can have a kid sitting there with his friends and doing this technology and then saying, okay, the question is, how do we get people to clean up their garbage? And you have a topic. You do what I did for the heart. Only you say four questions about aspects of cleaning up garbage, four answers to each question, press the button run the study, and the answers come out. You have a kid who's thrilled for the rest of his life. Here's what's really interesting about having this conversation with you. You, you are this scientist. You, you know, you're taking things that to our minds are very complex. And I don't think that most people understand that, you know, making a difference. I mean, even a 10 to 15% difference in sales for a product for Colgate, let's say, much less 40% or more than that. These are ridiculous numbers that are attention getting for anybody who's in real business, who, who has a scalable business that that is looking for an advantage that can get them 2%. You know, you're doing these things. And then you're telling us, you know, I'm not special or I'm, you know, anybody can do this. It's hard for us to grasp that. Um, And I am going to turn here in a few minutes and talk about children in particular, because that's really fascinating. That's where your passion is going now is how to help children who are much more uh, bendable two ideas, I think. And so before we get there, I, I do want to say that you talk a lot about mentors. You talk about your father. 
your professor and even God. Can you talk to us about the importance of mentors? Because we believe in that on the encouragers. We believe that's a key to uh, living a fulfilling life. Maybe you can tell us how this impacts your thinking now. Yes. Thank you. First of all, my father was a mentor, even though I didn't know it. And he used to guide me by saying, put it between hard covers. Write your answers. My mother was a mentor. They both guided me. Smitty, S.S. Stevens, my doctoral professor, was a mentor. He used to be very punishing, but he would sit with me for hours. And he would once told me, my aunts, uh, he came from a polygamous family, so those, those were his father's other wives. But my aunties asked me, Smitty, what do you do at Harvard? And he says, I teach writing. And he would sit with me for hours correcting my writing. And when I realized that that was my education, that was my real education, I realized I wasn't interested in uh, teaching people facts. I wanted people to learn the way I learned, to do experiments. And so what I do by mentoring is give people my technology. It's available free in a program called BimiLeap, www.bimiLeap. Right. We are going we are going to get to that too. Yes. And I said do it. Do the study. And just today I guided two people through it. I said, "What do you see? Talk to me." I do what Smitty did with me at Harvard. What okay. do you see? And so the mentorship is so critical because nobody learns otherwise. That's right. Today, you say that you're working on educating the entire world to think critically and creatively in short bouts of six weeks. I'm going to say that real slow because I think that's critical. Your goals uh, also speak to decreasing the cost of medical care and improving outcomes with your work and dramatically increasing the effectiveness of small business from inception to launch and more. You mentioned that you're also trying out new ways to convince people to lead sustainable, healthier, and kinder lives. Can you explain this and, and how possible you think this is? It's quite possible, and it's very simple. So don't think that it's so magic. It's not. Let's take a topic like... Um, uh, leading a better, healthier life. Rather than convincing people to read facts, let them discover themselves. And it's simple. I don't know whether I can do it justice in the two minutes, but imagine you have a group of four kids and the kids have been asked to uh, think about a way of living more healthfully. The kids have no idea because they're 9 and 10 and 11 years old, and they have no idea. But the teacher tells them to do research. So they sit among themselves, and they have a computer program. And the computer program asks them, what's the topic? They type in living better. The computer asks them, Give me four questions. What does that mean? Oh, 
What should I eat? What kind of exercise should I do? What kind of relaxation and sport should I do? And how should I carry myself around with friends? That sounds good. Four questions. And now the kids sit around and type in four answers to each question. They don't necessarily know what the right answer is, but each question, what should I eat? I should eat a lot of vegetables. I should eat a lot of good for you foods. I should take a lot of nutritional supplements, etc. So we have a bunch of kids tasked with a problem and they and they're asked pick a topic, ask four questions which are relevant and which tell a story and then think of four answers to each question. Make sense? Yes. Next. Next. Now uh, introduce it. You're going to read a set of vignettes or ideas. Each one will talk about living healthfully. Number one, tell me, use this scale. One is I can't live this way. It's not for me. Five is it's perfect for me. Now you press the button, you send out, and the computer takes what these kids have thought of and mixes and matches and creates for each person a set of 24 little advertisements. One from column A, one from column B, one from column C, etc. Now you, Lloyd, will see a different set of 24, and I'll see a different set of 24, etc. To every person, yes. Each person, it goes right out to the computer, to computer land through our company lucid which provides panelists everybody sees the different combinations they rate it and the computer builds a model relating the presence or absence of these 16 ideas to whether it will drive a person to say i can live not only that the computer will try to find different mindsets different groups of people there'll be some people in the population who will be interested in eating healthy foods and others who want to have exercise and uh, vitamin supplements. Now imagine all this comes back in 15 minutes. Got it? 15 or maybe 20 minutes. And these kids, all of a sudden, they're 9, 10, and 11 years old, jump up and say, wow, what a discovery. Do you know that there's a whole group of people who want vitamin supplements and exercise and another group who just want greens. And these kids are discovering. Make sense? And discovering who they are, too. And discovering listen, who they are. Listen, I understand that you've founded a company that brings this concept to Latin America, to Africa, and the Middle East. Yes. Talk to us about the World Institute of Competitive Excellence. It's a group of scientists, uh, physicians, and entrepreneurs. And the goal is to bring this technology in an affordable fashion to the entire world. Imagine 30 million Egyptian students who can do six of these exercises once a week for, let's say, 60 minutes in six weeks, how smart they will become. Imagine Ghana and Africa bringing this to orphanages and having the kids do this and becomes very smart.
and getting jobs and getting funded by local businesses. Imagine bringing this to hospitals where you have very sick children and making the children experts in research so that instead of playing simple video games and passing their time in a sort of a hopeless way, you create kids with vim and with vigor, with hope, and with a desire to live because they're doing something really great. Does that sound good to you? It does. Listen, I want to know, why is it important, in your opinion, to create, to teach critical thinking and access to research? Because this seems to be kind of a pivot point for you. Because the world is going down with all of the uh, small screens, with all of the wasted time, with all of the craziness that is happening in education, with the loss of ability to concentrate, with the world of Google so that people don't have to learn anything. We are generating, we are producing a generation of kids who can't think. And this is not good for our civilization. I would agree with that. Listen, before I ask this next question, this is something I want to say to everybody. Uh, before I ask this next question, I want to say this up front. There is something called mind genomics, and I'm going to take my own. Um, I'm going to take my own path to try to identify what this is, and then I'm going to ask you to follow up. Mind genomics is an actionable, scalable, empirical means of discovering what to say, how to say it, and to whom. Okay, so you have also mentioned that you want young people, even as as young as eight or nine, to truly discover. You, you know you have to lay this out, Howard. Can you explain how a person can make a major discovery at the age of nine using Mind Genomics, the Mind Genomics program that you call Bimmy Leaks? Bimmy Leap. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just what I talked about before. Suppose we want to have the children talk about a social issue, right. like stopping crime. Instead of having big think tanks make lots of money with very thick reports giving you statistics, what if we had the following? What if we had a contest and we gave anybody who entered the contest $100 to give us Remember the topic, the four questions, and the four answers to each question. Remember what we just did? Only the topic is, let's say, stopping crime or getting people to vote. And let's say we have groups of kids who have been notified that they can get $100 if they set up a study that we will provide for them. And not only that, they can do this several times. They can iterate. Then we will have thousands of kids wanting to earn money and kids saying, I'm going to do the study, find out what works, throw out the stuff that doesn't work, and run it again. Within three or four iterations, these children, if they stick with it, will have come up with better thinking and with phenomenal ideas 
that probably will blow us away. So what's interesting here is you're talking about a system, a way of making learning and research, uh, uh, my mentor would say more saleable, uh, 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 something that anybody can grapple onto, something that's simple. You mentioned that you want to share your technology virtually free except processing cost with the whole world. You said that people all they have to do really is go on to the digital site called bimileap.com. What does bimileap mean? Well, big mind learning application. Big mind learning application. Now, where does big mind come from? That's a whole story in itself. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you that story because um, that, I think, started a lot of the thinking. And the year is 2014, and I'm in Morocco. And there's a conference of the IEEE in Morocco about knowledge building. And I was invited to go there. And of course, how can I resist going to a country which features a bunch of goats standing on trees? And with a place like Casablanca, if anybody who's familiar with Ingrid Bergman and Humphrey Bogart will know the, uh, the delight of Casablanca. So the combination of Casablanca and the goats on the trees got me to go to Morocco. And my idea there, which I presented, which was not well understood, was one could do these experiments for hundreds and hundreds of different topics and create a database of the mind. And there might be two or three different ways of thinking about each topic, these mindsets different ways of thinking about the same information. And one could do this just like the students are discovering these different solutions in groups of people. One could do this and essentially mind type the entire world on a hundred different topic areas. Okay, so just to try to break this down in a different way, Anybody who's listening to this live right now, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter their educational background, none of that. Somebody listens to this on a podcast in a year from now, okay? They hear about this bimileap.com. They can go to that site. They have maybe a subject that they want to know more about. They can go through this process and get results, correct? Yes, get results in 15 to 45 minutes, unless they want to uh, wait a few more minutes and uh, uh, check the ideas that came in. But they can usually get the results in a half an hour, let's say a half an hour to an hour. Well, and just to be fair, you know, we've all been through this world where, well, you know, things that we never thought were going to be uh, something for the general population, like, for instance, COVID-19 uh, changing the world. Uh, you go back a little bit, you get the uh, 08 financial crisis, you go back a little bit more, and you get 9-11. These things are changing our world. You look at somebody like Howard. Howard 
when he came along, I'm sure nobody thought that there would be a field of science that's as complex as it is now focused on consumers and what they want. Would you say that's right, Howard? I would say when I came in, there was much simpler world, much less competitive, much slower. The data were always at the tab house. Everybody did cross tabulations, 37% like this and 22% like that. Nielsen was measuring the out of stock and everything was joyous and happy, slow and sweet. And everything was in its place, all's right with the world. You changed that. I lived it and it changed. Yes. You're Howard, too much credit, I'm afraid. Well, I know that you're going to say that, but you've done all these different things in consumer products, and it's almost it's almost difficult to communicate it correctly. And so that's what I struggle with is so that people can understand that you've changed so much about the way we live our lives. And you want to say it wasn't me <laughs> and anybody can do it. So this is really fascinating. And I love that you are focused on children and focused on the fact that there are generations coming. These people, the people who are adults right now don't know what these people are going to do for work. They don't even know if they're going to work. Okay. What kind of problems are going to be on the earth? We don't know what that is. We do know that education is a lean path to figuring it out. Correct. Education will do wonders if we only stop and read and only stop and experiment and stop trying to force the kids to do work that they don't like in a situation which they find boring and non-inspiring. Let them make work, let them make discovery into play. Let them have challenges and compete with each other, not on who's the best hockey player, but who's got the best set of ideas. Right. Howard, I want to thank you for joining us on Innovation and Audio. Can you stick around for a moment in case people in our audience might have a question for you? I'm very happy to stick around. If you haven't subscribed to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast, you're already missing out on great content every single week. We already have a growing archive of shows that you won't believe what you're going to hear that can improve the value of your own career. While you are listening to this live event, make sure you've joined the Encouragers here on the Clubhouse app. Share what we're doing with other friends who are in radio and audio and people who love innovation. Follow the people on the stage tonight. Look around the room for others that you can connect with. A big part of encouraging you and your audio career is helping you engage in successful networking. Find out what our guests are talking about every single week, including uh, uh, just ways to make your career better and certainly more innovative by subscribing to the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast. And of course, we have two podcasts. So, you know, we have another one called the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast. Both of our podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. This special note, we have a special live event coming. It is actually called How Television Has Been and Is continuing to change forever. Thursday, December 2nd, 2021, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. What is TV now? What do viewers expect? How should 
you know, what should you know about this? You can find out all of this in a special one-time research discovery event with Vichuri Media on television. This is specifically focused on television only and is the Fichuri Smith Geiger study. Aaron Callahan is going to be our special guest from Fichuri Media. And if you're interested in consumers, in television, in changing and disruption in media, you will want to hear this live event. You can go back and hear the episode on our podcast, The Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which comes from our Monday night event. And you can hear Rick Party's appearance on that live event where he shares an absolute mind-blowing way to get a job, you won't doubt that he kills it with those skills. Don't forget to follow people on this stage tonight. We are going to open up the room in case there are questions from you to our guest right now. All you have to do is push the button at the bottom of your iPhone or Android device. We'll bring you right up on the stage. And, of course, we ask that you mute your microphone until we call on you. By the way, uh, when you join the encouragers, we do tell people this all the time. We have people who like to come just to listen. That's okay with us. Our goal is to provide interesting content, advice, uh, career opportunities to move your career forward and encourage you. We don't mind sharing sharing this stage with you if you're so inclined. That's why we do extend an offer every Wednesday, but we don't pressure you to talk on this program. It's a it's a safe place for everyone. Don't forget, coming Monday, you can join us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the radio rally right here on the Encouragers. Of course, Don Anthony is going to be here on Monday with Talent Masters. And, of course, maybe he'll tell us all about Morning Show Boot Camp and what the scoop is for 2022. I know you'll be interested in that. We love encouraging people in audio and radio uh, because we're bringing ideas, solutions, opportunities all throughout these businesses. We we do have special events for sellers, for sales managers and market managers everywhere. Share this with them. We have the 2022 Sales Liftoff, Planning Your Bigger Revenue Year, coming on Thursday, January 13th at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific. A little bit different time for us. Join us live on the Clubhouse app Thursday. January 13th, 2 p.m. Eastern for a revenue-focused event, which we plan to do quarterly for sales managers, market managers, and local sellers. As a little preview, I'll just tell you, we are going to talk about recruiting in this very first one. Uh, we will lay out planning and actionable events to amp up your Q1 revenue. Our special guest is the current sales consultant, Alec Drake, who is the former director of sales for Cumulus Media in Dallas, Texas, and he'll have two additional revenue partners at our roundtable with actionable red meat sales help for 2022. So I, I see that uh, people are reluctant to ask questions. Howard, I do want to ask you this one question because you have a lot of conversation uh, in your talks about education and the value of education. And this might be a little different for you because it may not have the traditional answer. But one of the things that I have talked to you about is a lot of us who haven't been to Harvard, Harvard University, we hear it all the time, the value of a of a Harvard education. Can you talk about that for a minute? Did that change your life and how did it change your life and were you surprised by that? Uh, I went to therapy for a couple of years uh, after that. Uh, the truth is it did change my life 
but it's not Harvard. It's my mentor. And it wasn't a pleasant experience. It was a blowtorch. And I came out stronger than I went in. Or as Michelangelo was asked, how did you carve David? He said, I looked at all the stone that wasn't David and I chipped it away. So that was my Harvard education. You know, it's really interesting that you say that because in your language, when I hear you talk, you, like you said, I'm not a researcher. I don't want to know what the answer is. I'm looking for this. It's kind of like what you just said. I'm not trying to carve this. I'm, I'm carving out everything that's not David. Yes. Very interesting. So we do try to keep things to about an hour on this live event. Our thanks to Howard Moskovitz. And, and, and listen, I, I want to say that you have been very patient in giving with us. We appreciate that very much. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast, which is available right now. And this particular episode will be available in the next hour or so. And of course, we want to thank JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. Please do share our podcast, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast and the Encouragers Innovation and Audio podcast with others that you know who are interested in growing their careers and their brands in audio and in innovation or through innovation. Both podcasts are available right now and anytime on Apple, Spotify and wherever you get your podcast. If you don't remember anything else, please remember this. Be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of innovation and audio, and thanks for being with the encouragers. Good night.